0: I'm going to be honest, and all the time I've dealt with the uh, the portability agreement, I actually didn't know that. I've probably read it a hundred times, but it's never stuck because I don't think I've ever had it come up. <laughs> all right, Chuck, we have been, uh done one of our podcasts in a little while uh, we've had quite a few things go on since recording our last one just some you know some small things like you know the first ever virtual Nika convention uh yeah. virtual safety conference and who knows what else virtual went on i'm probably just forgetting it at this point yeah.
1: virtual CIR
0: that's true yeah not only have we had two virtual sessions of CIR we're getting ready to have our third one and uh so far so good um, Every time I say that, I'm reminded of the guy falling off the building, and that's what people hear him say (laughs) all the way down is, so far, so good. (laughs) Uh, But yeah, so, you know, obviously a little bit going on, but we needed to get back together because labor relations never sleeps. There's always issues going on around the country, and uh, especially when our contractors start to move around the country, and they do that through portability. So I figured, why not talk about it today? Yeah, you know, we can run through what it is, where it came from, how it's maybe evolved a little throughout uh, some of the agreements that are attached to it, some of the common issues we see, as well as maybe some little known uh, facts about it. You know, because that's what we're good for is turning up things that people either forgot or didn't know in the first place. Uh, so how about we just dive right into it? Uh, you obviously being the keeper of all the knowledge uh, i can see a stack of papers there behind you portability as we know it and our collective bargaining agreements how did it come about uh, how did it become you know part of category one language
1: there was no formal portability provision until 1959 now seemingly there were formal and informal arrangements between local unions to allow the brothers to back and forth. Uh, And then I I am supposing that they had agreements that allowed contractors to send people into a local area, which is slightly different. At any rate, in 59, at the request of NECA, the uh, International President Gordon Freeman issued a policy which uh, created the one-man for jurisdiction rule, which existed from 59 until 1993, when the current language, which allowed four men to move from one area to another. So that was negotiated um, in 93. And it's interesting, I've, I pulled out the chapter alert that went out at that point, and it was Kind of prophetic in a couple of its passages, its conditions, the conditions of the agreement represent a significant change for some in our industry. And we should be conscious of the economic and political climate in a given local area as the agreement is utilized. The agreement is not intended to move manpower needlessly, but rather it should be used to increase our efficiency and to address the competitive requirements of the marketplace. While there are no limitations beyond its written intent, interpretations will certainly arise, and we must resist the temptation to push the agreement beyond its intended purposes and limits. If we approach the agreement with reason and do not move manpower unnecessarily, then the agreement will prove to be a great benefit for our industry. Conversely, if we use this agreement in a confrontational manner, bad feelings and resistance will be increased, while its implementation and effectiveness will be slowed. And sure enough, three years later, Nika got a letter from the IBEW with a series of complaints about contracting, how contractors are misusing the agreement <laughs> and the amended portability agreement was negotiated. It added a requirement that employers consider the unemployment situation in the local union so now, if you're trying to send someone into an area that has 10% unemployment, you can only send two workers in, then you have to hire one locally, then you can send another worker, hire another one locally, and send the fourth worker. Under the original agreement, you could send four.
0: How, uh, I guess the question to ask is, how is that unemployment defined, though? Whenever you're looking into the end the local area, because I thought it was 10 uh, percent of who was available to work, not necessarily of all who were on the book. Am I interpreting that right? That's
1: the way it's supposed to be. OK. Vika argued in the IDEW conceded that not everybody on the book is available to work. So it's supposed to be determined with a little more than saying, I got 3,000 members, 300 guys on the book, I'm at 10% unemployment. When you look into it and find that 275 of them are not available to work.
0: If you went that route, that would always be in effect. Every local would have 10% unemployment. Yeah,
1: pretty much. But the other change was interesting and it kind of exposed some games that were being played, although... The agreement always said the person you were transferring had to be an employee of the company. There were no real um, parameters for that, no definition. And it was alleged that employers were hiring off their local referral book and immediately sending people into another jurisdiction. And the receiving local unions were saying, they could just as well hire out of my local because the premise is contractor is sending an individual who is familiar with the company and their work so that it can be a smoother process when they get to where the job is. So that's what brought up the two week employment rule. That you have to have been, or the individual has to have been employed by the contractor for at least two weeks before a transfer can be made.
0: I'm gonna be honest, and all the time I've dealt with the uh, the portability agreement, I actually didn't know that. I've probably read it a hundred times, but it's never stuck because I don't think I've ever had it come up. I mean, I'm sure you've probably run into it from time to time. But yeah, I just so hey, I learned something awesome. Hopefully, hopefully everybody watching. Hope you learned it. Yeah, yeah, no, I got it. It's 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 up there now, and hopefully somebody just learned it too. So it's not just me getting educated here.
1: <laughs> so now we have since 1996 this one agreement on portability. It's actually um, two phases. So there's the four man, four worker per jurisdiction by a single employer. In addition to that is the lesser used service and specialty work provision, which allows two workers per job to be transferred into another jurisdiction. And they don't count against the four worker general exemption or provision. So an employer could have four people in the jurisdiction doing work on a new construction project have a customer in that jurisdiction call him to do specialty work, then he could send two more people in to do that specialty work, even though he has four people under the provision A, if you want to call it that. People, both on our side and the IBW side, sometimes lose track of that and say, no, it's four total ever under any circumstances, and that's not true.
0: Yeah. Hey, so you know what question I'm about to ask? What specialty work?
1: Specialty work, as a Supreme Court justice once said about pornography.
0: I knew this was coming.
1: (laughs) I can't tell you what it is, but I know it when I see it. That's fair. There were some arrangements for portability, which I mentioned before, even under the original one worker rule. A lot like the international specialty agreements now, there were local arrangements. And it wasn't the intent of this agreement to change those definitions where they existed. And the other part of it was, specialty work may vary in different locations around the country. So rather than try to write a definition that wasn't going to be universal because it could not be universal, it was left to the local parties to decide what is specialty work.
0: The, the true test to, is it specialty work in your area, or at least a good test, or can anybody refer to that employer off the books, perform that work, or do they have to literally have a special skill certification or training that you could, I guess going back to your definition from the Supreme Court Justice, that you know when you see it. It's this individual has this special skill, knowledge, certification, or training and so that's why we have to bring this individual in to perform this very specific scope of work.
1: Yeah, a lot of this is, it's not new construction. And it's not even that, that a journeyman in that local might know general principles of a, of a certain product or putting in a certain system. And if he was on a new construction site, he could get it in and that'd be okay. But this is geared more towards familiarity. This individual worker does it all the time. That is his specialty. This he does in a special way or with 20 years of experience. Another journeyman could do it, but it might take him three days to do what this guy can do in one day. There had to be some leeway as you can see from this discussion, we can't even decide how you would build the definition, let alone what that definition is.
0: We could probably have an entire podcast trying to craft it.
1: We could, but it would be pointless because at the end we'd have nothing.
0: That's, that's not only fair, but depressing because it's true. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, an interesting scenario, I had come up with the whole... Uh, special skills and, and porting individuals because they had these special skills. And I I believe this actually fits into this vague definition that we're sitting here crafting. Um, I had a scenario one time where I had an employer tear down a machine in his jurisdiction. So no portability there. Right. But he had a, Mm -hmm. he had a, a small group of individuals and he needed a few of the, I guess the more leadership roles from that team to go with this now torn down machine and rebuild it like a thousand miles away. Well, that fell right under it because you're not going to go pull, um, just anybody off the books in that local, because they literally did not tear down this machine. It was a very, as a highly specialized piece of equipment. And the customer said, I want this person and this person or whoever it was to follow that machine and put it together on my site you know, here and there. And I mean, I had no issue with it. The employer explained it to me. I called the other area. We had a quick chat, and they go, Oh, yeah, that won't be a problem at all. We, we completely understand. But I guess that goes to point that points to why it is difficult because how often are you going to run into that scenario? But it, yet it fits. Speaking of the portability agreement, let's talk about the scenario where you have an employer that has two permanent locations. In, we'll say local A and local B. What does the portability agreement say about that? Can that employer transport between those two shops? No. Yeah. Pretty simple answer.
1: Well, it's simple uh, because it is simple. If you cannot, can't transport people between a local area where you have a shop into another local area where you have a shop. That's just not permitted.
0: Was there, I mean, other than it's just it makes sense, was there any reasoning behind that?
1: Well, the reason is that portability is provided to give the employer the benefit of using current employees who know the company and how it does things um, and the job that they're going to do. You can move them into an area where you don't have any infrastructure, as it were so that the employer has more comfort in seeking work in other areas because he knows at least the core of the people that he's gonna be sending in to do the work. He's already got a permanent office in an area. He can just as well use those people because they know the company. They know how things are done within that company. So they should be perfectly adequate to for lack of a better term, protect the, the employer's interests in that jurisdiction.
0: Now it makes it fun. But uh, since we're talking about the infamous local A and local B, let's talk about their lesser known cousin, local C. Oh, uh, yes. Yeah, nobody likes to talk about local C, but we're going to have to. So uh, a scenario that was brought to me the other day, and I thought it'd be a good one for us to talk about here, is you have a contractor who has a permanent Place of business in local A, and they have, let's say, two individuals. So that this works in all the scenarios, they have two individuals that they want to use uh, under port- the portability agreement to move from local A to local B. They okay. can do that even with the port, even if there's unemployment in local B, they can still do that because it's two. So they do. And while they're in Local B, they get an individual referred to them from Local B's book, and they really like this individual. And now they have a job in uh, Local C, so they want to bring their Local A guys from into Local C to do this job. But they also like this new guy that they had referred to him in Local B, so they want to bring that individual as well. Can they do that? No. And it's because they can only bring the individuals from local A because that's how portability was established to work. It wasn't to hopscotch, so to speak.
1: Right. It was premised on that contractor getting work, taking permanent regular employees where the home office is and sending them off to do work in an area where they had no presence. You have to remember the IBEW structure, local union autonomy. In their various jurisdictions and the idea that an employer could just start going around the country cherry picking from local unions then using that crew uh, to the detriment of his home local because if he's picking up people from local b or local d and sending them into local c rather than sending local a people that doesn't really fit the idea or the argument that The employer needs the people that he's had who really understand him because those people came from local A or would come from local A. Now, it's important in this discussion to point out these aren't people who are necessarily members of local A. They're people who were referred to the employer by local A. So he can't can't pick up somebody in local B and send them to local C. However, if he gets a book two guy from local B sent to him in local A, and that guy works for him for two weeks, he could then send that individual to local C because it's the point of referral and not the membership that counts.
0: Yeah. I like that distinction. And that's something, like you said, that we often forget that it's, it's not the membership of the individual. It's the referral. Uh, something that I'm, I'm kind of putting together from because you've said it quite a few times and i think is important to note is is the reason for portability so often as a chapter manager especially when you run into issues with portability it's because a contractor wants to move an individual because they like that individual or because you know they like their work ethic or you know fill in the blank reason but that's not what portability exists for it exists to be able to move an individual who is familiar with the with the company's operation and while those two may be the same You can't port somebody just because you like them. The reason it exists is to be able to bring those long-term employees that know the company, know the culture, know the job, know whatever the fill in the blank is to move them from point to point. It's not just because you snagged an individual that you just like their work ethic or you just like them. So you want to bring them around. It's possible to do that, but that's when they have to do it in the scenario. Like you just said, that's just that that's an important distinction that portability exists to keep continuity, to keep that uh, company knowledge and culture when moving into areas where the company doesn't have a presence. It's not just because you want to move an individual that you like. Uh, And one thing that I can note if there are employers uh, listening to this is if you are in a situation where you need to move more than those four people from one place to another, the best advice I can give you is first of all, contact your chapter manager and tell them what's going on. Because 9.9 times out of 10, that chapter manager knows the chapter manager in the jurisdiction where you're needing to go. They can make one phone call. And usually between the relationship that that chapter manager has in that area with their business manager, and then the relationship between the two chapter managers, They can work something out. Um, I can't really recall a situation where we weren't able to come to some type of an arrangement to help the employer get their job done, uh, to be able to bring to be able to have what they needed to, you know, fulfill that customer's requirements in that area. Now, I don't say that to make a promise that you're going to get it every time that you're just going to get full portability. All you have to do is call, but you have a much better chance of being able to bring who you need to do the job you need to do by making that call first.
1: There were a couple of things I had in mind to bring up. Uh, One is the question the employer has sent people into another jurisdiction and they get a visit on the job site or the contractor gets a phone call claiming that those individuals can't work until they come to the union hall and get referred out or get a permit to work. That's not required. Send them in, the employer is required to notify that local union that these people have come into the jurisdiction and they're working on a particular job, but that's all, those individuals do not have to physically report to the local.
0: That's a good one to, to bring up because I, I have run into that scenario quite a few times. Yeah, some, some locals can be uh, difficult to work with and they like to put on those requirements. And, and it's especially hard when you have an employer that they're going into a local union that has a very large geographical jurisdiction and there's a remote job site and they need the individuals to go to that job site. But then the local says no. You got to run them through the hall, which is you know four hours out of the way, and then you got to drive the four hours out to the job site. And so it's it's good to know that if that requirement gets brought up, that the employer doesn't have to send those individuals to the hall. They just have to provide the information to the hall to let them know, you know, here's here's who we're bringing in. Um, That way, you know, you don't have an additional four hours of drive time.
1: If you send people into an area that has reverse layoff clause in the referral, which requires that you have to lay off by book. Does it affect people brought in under portability? The answer is no. If you send four people in and you then hire a bunch of local people and they're all group one, and then you start to have a layoff, And the unions say, well, they're from out of town, so they're no better than book two. You have to lay your transferred workers off first before you can lay off any of my book one guys. And that's incorrect. The purpose of portability was to have familiar workers to help start and complete the job. And that also is in
0: the Q&A. Well, I uh, think it's probably a good time for us to put a bow on this portability discussion. I think we've probably hit a good bit of it. I'm sure there'll be questions. Uh, If if you watch this and you take exception to anything we say, uh, be sure to send them all to Chuck. He'll take care of all that for you. But seriously, if you do have questions about portability, you um, have a unique scenario, maybe we didn't discuss, or you just uh, you want to hear us talk about more about portability, feel free to reach out. Uh, chapter managers, contact your field rep with any questions; they can reach us that way. I'm more than happy to hop on a call with you and have this discussion, and you know go through any of your scenarios or issues you may be having, and. If there's more you want to hear us talk about in this realm, you know, send it over to me and Chuck and I can look at doing a future recording where we, you know, go through your issue or go through um, your particular scenario. But Chuck, I just want to say thank you again for coming on and lending us some more knowledge on the history and application and the ins and outs of portability. Do you like that pun? Ins and outs? Portability? that's great. (laughs) Well, hopefully we've shed some light on it and again any questions let us know chuck you have a great afternoon i'm going to try to do the same and uh we'll see we'll see everybody on the next one have a good day